Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, good morning again, church. Another short and sweet Bible verse. Again, you're welcome. You made it. You skate through so easily. We're going to give, next year I'm going to get you, just so you know. It's going to be, uh, yeah, we're going to get you. As we uh, gather here today, uh, want to share with you that uh, good morning to those that will join us and welcome us later as well. But we are in a sermon series. Woo! Okay. Are you excited? I don't know. I saw an almost clap kind of going on there. So we'll try that again. I'm going to go over here. I didn't, that didn't happen. Oh, we got like the slow clap going on now. Like, all right, we're in a sermon series. Yeah, there we go, church. Wake up. You're alive. You're awake. It's good to be with you. But we're in a sermon series, and we're speak, or, uh, in a sermon series of John Wesley. Okay, okay, good. Okay, so some of the people are liking that good. So we've been looking at a couple of John Wesley sermons. This is the mixtape volume one where John uh, Wesley, and your pastor Jonathan, that is, is picking some of his favorites. I call it uh, the greatest hit, but it's really your pastor picking some of his favorites in that. But also some of them are greatest hits as well. Now, the first week we looked at uh, the first sermon of his 53 standard sermons that he gave pastors, and again, he didn't say, like, go literally preach this as in word for word, but he said, this theology that's in here, preach this in your days and comings and goings, and go out and preach this, spread the scriptural holiness, and these things that are inside here, spur the church on, spur people on, spur people on. And so we looked at that first sermon the first week, uh, then we looked at, you know, very originally, number two, last week, this week, guess what? Almost. I, I totally led you into that. Ha! Gotcha. Number four, though. But number three is really good, too. But we're going to be looking at number four here today uh, just because of, uh, I think it has a little something else to say here that I think is worthy of, of doing and uh, of, of sharing here today as we uh, gather together. So let's pray together. Lord, in the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And God, once again, may John Wesley's words that were so filled with your Holy Spirit fulfilled of the knowledge of Jesus Christ through contained in the scriptures. May it once again come to us today. Lord, that if he was sitting uh, here in this room, that God, uh, not only would he have been in heaven and been sitting with you, but he would be proud of our church for not being listlessness, but God striving for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple words about our sermon here today is that this is sermon, as I said, number four. It was preached once again at Oxford. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, they've all been preached at Oxford so far. And then before the, the university itself, before those that were going in to become clergy and all these different things, were all 53 sermons. No, they were not. And in fact, I'll tell you why at the end of the sermon here today. But this was preached. And you can imagine before a group of people that are, you know, of, of people that are kind of ministers, if you will, not only clergy, people that are trying to become clergy, people even younger than that that were just kind of being brought up in the church in some ways, and so they would come, and, and even though they were in normal school years, if you will, they would come and hear these words uh, at their chapel time, the presence of, we call the president, they had different terms, but in our terms, presence of the university, if you will, were there, presence of, of the different, the, the different uh, school heads and masters and all these different things, and even people from the community would come and be there. So remember that as he preaches this sermon, because he's not preaching out to the crowds that are getting you know, wild and crazy down at the bar, if you will. He's preaching to the choir, so to speak, here today in the sermon. 
The second, second thing to remember is that as he's preaching, this time in history, the United States is just a British colony right now. And remember, this is a time where very much the British Empire, even though it still is technically, but back then, this was a Christian empire. In other words, there was no separation of church and state like we think of it in United States terms. The church and the state were like hand in hand and supposed to be and strive to be during these days. And it was supposed to be overtly the head of state and the head of church, Christian in every aspect, striving for those best things as best they could. Well, this is sermon number four, and the title of it is called Scriptural Christianity. The Bible verse that John pulls from, or John Wesley pulls from that is, is, is Acts in chapter four. And the key part of that he wants you to, to hear is this part right here. Remember, it's the coming in the Pentecost days when the church was birthed. And the Holy Spirit fell upon all the disciples that were gathered there and the followers of Jesus with them and that mighty things were done. But he wants to remember this. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, as they talked about in his days, or the Holy Spirit. They're synonymous. And in my sermon here today, I'll use both synonymously as we share. And so he took time to remember that in his sermon. He said, remember these days when this great reckoning happened and this great harvest of the people of God happened where People weren't just left wondering, well, Jesus went up to heaven, what do we do now? But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, not only were they filled with the Holy Spirit, there were all these kind of miraculous things happened. Remember the speaking in tongues, and they went out and did miracles, and they did all these different things. And he said, you know, in this sermon, he, might, he said to himself, he said, you know, those were extraordinary gifts, and they were given to, all, or given to this church, and it spread and did all these things. But he wants to stop there, and he says, but it's not really truly about those extraordinary gifts. And in fact, in his day, he looked around, and he said, you know, it's kind of a point of theology of, were these gifts just to start the church off in the day, and again, they'll return to us, and there's kind of this intermediate period, or are, the church, are those gifts supposed to be present even in our own walk with Christ here and now? He says, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, and we're not going to get stuck on that, but here's my point, right? And here's his point, as he said, those gifts were given for the second part of that, for the ordinary gifts, if you will, because the whole purpose of all those special things was the idea that they were all filled. Not sparingly where one person could prophesy and one person could speak in tongues and one person could heal people, but all of them were given the Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts. Which meant every single believer had in their hearts those fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the gentleness, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the, the self-control. That aspect was alive in their hearts. And, and that's what truly matters that he wants to focus on here today. So don't let's not get tripped up with the idea of these miracle things happen, but we know that the purpose of those miracle things are the very things that we experience that anybody, any believer of any time can experience and have to the full. This is how Christianity start out. He wants to trace the path of Christianity of how maybe you were there that day when Peter got up and preached and maybe your heart was pricked, if you will, and maybe that brought you into repentance and into the life of Jesus Christ. In that moment, you'd be filled with the Holy Ghost yourself and that in that giving of the Holy Ghost, not only would you have it, but you would, it would be one of these things where your spirit, you would have this, this blessed assurance, if you will, in your spirit that you were a child of God. And not only would you have this, but you would desire to live according to it. You would live, but it wouldn't be your life. It would be Christ's life living inside you. There would be this profound, profound, that is, peace with God, this justification by faith that we've talked about in other days. And furthermore, you would not fear the darkness of the world. Because you'd know in your heart the light ultimately triumphs. And so whatever you'd go through, you would keep that persistent spirit, that idea of continuing on into the love of God. And of course, not only would you be filled with the love of God for your own life and 
reflect that back to God yourself, but you would also be filled with love for your brother also. And you'd be so filled that you would do this out of love. Everything would be love one another because Christ has loved us, and we want to do the same to one another. In fact, these people, that, these Christians, had to be lowly in heart. They must have looked at things in their own eyes and looked at themselves and not sought much, but they wanted to seek not the praise of men, not the things of this world, but those that cometh from God only. And so they were meek and long-suffering, and they were gentle to all. And they would work no evil on their own means other than by accident. They would go and be part of the body of Christ and strive to be among the church people, strive to be among learning and, and continue being upon God's people, continue to take the communion that's found there. They would abstain not only from evil, but they would have desired and thirst to do good to their fellow man, and so they would have helped the stranger. They would have been a fatherless to the orphan. They would have been people that fed the poor. They would have been people that helped those who labor and that, that wouldn't suffer in their laboring, but have some of the fruits of their labor. This was the Christianity that first started. And John Wesley wants to remind the people that. And everybody in the crowd, you can imagine, is going, yeah? All right, good job, Wesley. We're all studying this. We all know this. But thank you, Wesley, for reminding us this. Wesley's going to go on, right? And so he's going to remind us that this was the community that started. And that even though the priests and the elders of the towns lifted up their voice, and even though that these things would happen, the multitude believed. And in one heart and one soul where they were, they were crucified to the world, if you would. And the world was not only crucified to them, but the world turned around and didn't like them at all, right? And so it reminds us that these first Christians, although it was this amazing explosion, there were times of trial that they went through. And so he considers not only what it meant for an individual to have their life changed, but how that life change got passed along. And then what kind of happens there? And he reminds this church in front of all the, the clergy people, all the, the, the choir, if you will, he reminds them that second place, this, this Christianity, it spread to one another, and it made its gradual way throughout the world. Because the heart of the people is if you know the love of God, and you know what, what the sacrifice of God has done for you and for I, then the lovers of mankind we must be. Wesley puts it this way, he says, the, a lover of mankind, when they see the whole world lying in wickedness, they can't believe that they would be unconcerned at that sight, at the misery of those for whom the Lord had died. They were moved to share the gospel, to share with other people and call them, once again, to God's holiness and God's life. And so they labored at every opportunity. They did good unto all men, and they warned them the free from the wrath, of course, from donation to hell, but they did good to them as well, helping out the virtues and the temperances that were right for Jesus Christ and followers of him. They were even so unconcerned with all this, that uh, all the world that was, that when the world kind of grew uh, against them, when the world rolled up its britches and said, no more shall this happen, but there were certain people that came across the church and said, we do not like what we hear. And so those people that were men of pleasure, if you will, they were offended about the gospel because not only were some of their number that they had caroused with suddenly got on the straight and narrow, if you will, but also because when you see your friends start to say, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to follow a different path, it makes you turn inwardly. And they were convicted, but they were not convicted to the point of changing their lives. Instead, they persisted on. And so men of pleasure were offended. The men of reputation, that is, the people in charge of things, those people that deserve respect, that are used to being obeyed, they were offended because Christians began to understand and their lives were changed. And so they began to understand and saying, no, we're not going to do exactly what you say. 
what you say is evil, so we cannot do that. And when threatening would happen, they would say, we fear not you, we fear God. So the men of power were, once again, offended. Not only because they were not obeyed in all their whims, but also because all the flattering titles that were given, none were as good as the ones in homage that they gave to God and to Christ. And the men of trade called together and said, look, our trade is going under because these Christians are changing people's lives and the things that we have done are all of a sudden not being, there's no money coming in. Like the community's changing. Like we have an issue with this. And they came against the church. Yet the church remained persistent and was not swayed by the fact this happened or they came against them. And above all, John Wesley says, there were people of religion, men of religion. What he means by those is those people are the outward signs of religion that don't have the heart. The part that came against this because to be truly changed all of a sudden changes everything. See, the devil will have you pretend to be a Christian all you want, as long as all day, and will celebrate it. But the moment you get real, then the people who don't have that inward change and is only outward suddenly understand and get put in front of a mirror, so to speak. And when they look in that mirror, they understand that they themselves must change as well. And so the men of religion also were offended. Yet even in this, they still turned the world upside down. They didn't stop there. Even though they came against things, even though there were trials and shames and reproach, the spoiling of goods, if you will, the mocking, the scourging, the imprisonment, the resisting even unto blood and shedding themselves and giving up their lives, they did not give up because they had God's Holy Spirit working in them and they knew it was worth everything else in their life. And in fact, they fought that good fight even when they were led as sheep to the slaughter. And even in their death, their words and their actions continued to speak and change the world. John Wesley says, thus did Christianity spread throughout the world. Thus did it happen. Now you can imagine the people in the room going, okay, Wesley, we, we get it. Yeah, we, we studied that. Like, let's get on to the point here, right? And so you can imagine this room of choir people, if you will, of the preaching to the choir. John Wesley's still going. And then he says these words. He starts to change it in his act three, if you will. In Act 3, he goes from not only describing how Christianity started in people's hearts, how it's, in Act 2, how it spread through other people and to other places and challenged the world and started turning upside down the world. But then Chapter 3, if you will, he stops best back. He asks this question that really we should ask always, in all places and all time. He asks this question, but shall we not see greater things than these? Yea, greater than have been yet from the beginning of the world, can Satan cause the truth of God to fail or his promises to become none and effectual? This is a strange sight. To think upon a Christian world, a Christian world where wars would cease, where the lives of all people would be so changed that destructions would come to an end, where brothers wouldn't rise against brother, civil discord would be destroyed. It'd be the type of place where righteousness and peace would kiss one another, as in Psalm 87. And with this righteousness, mercy would also be found. And that harmless as doves, people would be, this, this unspoken world though, that would be changed and uprooted and absolutely changed, this is what should be. He reminds the people word after word, and much more than I'll do here today, of the world that would look like if Christianity had continued on that path, right? Of changing the world and changing the world. And so he asks, I'm going to close with a plain and practical application. Now that sounds innocent. But 
put on your bootstraps, giddy up, put on your bulletproof vest, because here comes the bullets from John Wesley, because he said she set up the church here in this moment. And he says, I would ask, where does this Christianity now exist? This one that was faithful that we see in the scriptures, a scriptural Christianity that spread abroad in people's hearts, filled with the Holy Ghost, and not necessarily, again, once again, looking for the miracles and all these spontaneous huge things, but the things that those purposely were for that every Christian to have in their heart the Holy Spirit. Where is, this, where is this place? Where do I pray? Where are Christians? Where do they live? Which is the country, the inhabitants of which I would go and see people filled with the Holy Ghost? He says these words, again, this was written in 1744, but he says these words, let us confess we have never yet seen a Christian country upon the earth. And he says, you know, these days are days you never know when they're the last. Remember Noah, remember Daniel, remember Job. Remember this idea that all these persuasions, and, and I just want to steal your hearts, people that are going to hear me, because I'm going to start bringing it in just a moment to the people in this room, not you, but St. John Wesley. I'm going to bring it here in just a moment. And so prepare your hearts, but just I want to just prepare you to also say, if you get pricked by the Holy Spirit, don't quell it down. Instead, let the Holy Spirit change your heart in this moment. He said it like this. He said, don't say your persuasion shall not prevail against us, even though they should really convince us. No, no, no. Instead, be humble before the Lord here today as we once again examine our own lives. And so he said these words to this room full of other clergy. Church of England, right? Supposed to be English? Uh, not only, sorry, of course it's supposed to be English. Supposed to be Christian is what I'm trying to say, right? It's supposed to be a state and a place, and, a, and it's supposed to be a nation that is actually not just Christian on the outside or Christian words. It's supposed to be Christian through and through in every way and every possibility. He says, brethren, I am persuaded better things to you. Let me ask you in tender love and the spirit of meekness, is this a Christian city? Is this scriptural Christianity that's found in the, in the scriptures, is it found here? Are we a community of people so filled with the Holy Ghost that our, our hearts show forth the genuine fruits of the Spirit? Are all the magistrates, the heads, the governors of colleges and halls and the respective societies, the inhabitants of the town itself are we have on one heart and one soul, and is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, and are our tempers the same that were in Him? If our lives are agreeable thereto, are we holy as He who hath called us is holy in all manner of conversation? He goes under mine. What I'm asking here, church, is not those things, those opinions, if you will, that we can find in Scripture and debate over. I'm talking about the very heart of Christianity itself. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is what it means to be a Christian. And the outward outpouring of that, is that what we see here? As John Wesley looked at those in the hall of Oxford. And he asked for you that are in authority over us. Right? I'm going to start naming out some people so you know. John Wesley brought it sometimes. He's going to bring it, just so you know. Here he comes. You in the authority of us, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you lively portraits of him you appointed to represent among men? Are you all your thoughts and hearts and all your tempers and desires suitable to your high calling, that those who would follow you would call your actions dignity and love, that those actions would be the ones that would come out from the mouth of God when they hear your words? He turned, he has more words in each, so I'm just kind of give paraphrasing each one, but he would turn to those that were the people that were the teachers. He said, those who tender the minds of you, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? 
Are the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Are you full of love and zeal to set up His kingdom on earth? And does it fill your whole heart to do so? Or instead, do you understand these ideas that if we don't have this love and don't have this sense of God's urgency in our life, that all the learning we have here is just splendid ignorance, pompous folly, vexation of the Spirit? No, are we better than that? And he turns to those who are there that are becoming, or in, intended to become clergy, in other words, studying to become clergy. He says, you who are intending to become clergy, do you have the fruits of the Spirit, the lowliness of mind and self-control? Do you relieve the outward wants, or do you bring souls to the true knowledge of the love of God? He says, I fear that this is not here, that we have not the pride and haughtiness of spirit, that impatience and peevishness and sloth and dolence and gluttony and sensuality, and even the proverbial uselessness is found among those who even want to become a pastor. Then he looked, he'd say, all right, and clergy in the room. And talk to you now, right? And so we'd go, for those clergy, those consecrated to God, are we patterns for the rest? In our words, in our conversation, in our charity, in our spirit and purity, are we? Are we inwardly moved by the Holy Ghost to take upon this ministration? Do we know God and want Jesus Christ? Do we know these things and want others to have them? Do we have a burning zeal to save souls from death for the sake that we even forget to eat our bread because we're so concerned for others? We lay up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. And then he turned to the youth. You can imagine this going well but in modern times. But he turns to the youth of the place, those that are kind of coming and going through their school years and being part of the Oxford uh, community, if you will, even though they're not in Oxford proper, per se, in the sense of uh, the collegiate years. But he turns to the youth of the place. He says, have you the form and power of godliness? Are you humble, teachable? Advisable, stubborn, or are you stubborn, self-willed, heady, and high-minded? Do you want to obey your superiors, or do you desire to despise those whom you deserve your tenderest reverence? Are you not conscious that day after day you pursue things that are a waste of time, that you don't put your studies and your, your strength, that is, in your studies, but you pursue those things that are fleeting? Do you sit there and do you not get drunk and uncleanliness and all that that is found amongst people? Or is it still in you as well? Do you keep the Sabbath day? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? And he owns this up. He says, you know what? I own that I myself have been among that number. I stood before you all and I solemnly swore that I observed all those customs which I knew nothing of, those statues which I did not so much as read over, either then or some years after. That's not perjury and that that's not, not being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is? So students of the place, don't miss your high calling. Don't, don't waste this time like I did in my younger years. And so he challenges that room. A room full of clergy people, supposed to represent God. He says, are we not a generation of triflers? Triflers with God, triflers with one another, and with even our own souls. He looked at this crew and he said, so many of us don't even spend a single hour when he added up in private prayer even in a week, or even in our general tenor of our conversation and what we speak about and talk about, it's not filled with the Holy Spirit at all. He asked that place in that day, he said, is Christianity, the scriptural Christianity, is it in this place? Are we filled with the Holy Ghost? Are we convinced that what we're sharing here today and what we're spending our lives doing is really truly the scriptural Christianity 
Or is it something else altogether? And if we're not the ones to do it, God will surely move through others, and true Christianity will be restored, maybe through the young or even inconsiderable type of people that none of us would, would think twice of, but how much it would prove to us that we have the iniquity over us if that type of true Christianity was to spread somewhere else instead of here, right here in the church, among the people that claim to be those that are after God. What would save us? Help us against these enemies, O Lord. Unto these and all things are possible to you, according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those, the, those in this moment that are appointed to die through judgment. And preserve us in a manner that seemeth good to thee, not as we will, but thou wilt. And sermon. You didn't even give a blessing. There was no even benediction, right? As he ended. Now you can probably guess this didn't go over so hotly among the people in that room. In fact, uh, this was the last time John Wesley was ever asked to speak at Oxford University at all, right? And so all the rest of his 53 standard sermons were all sermons that were not given at the university like these first four were. But yet, his very words challenge, because there's nothing in there that he's being really a jerk about. He's simply, truly, and heartfelt asking the question. The Christianity that was so clearly taught in Scripture of being filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't get tied up with all the gifts of the Spirit, all the, the miraculous things and all that, because the whole purpose of those was to lead to the true change of heart. Does that exist in the place of Oxford? John Wesley challenged them to say, no, no, I don't see it. Without calling out names, but he, without the, as we saw with people, he called out each one to say, do these tempers, the, the very passion of your souls, do they line up with what we see in Scripture? And he confessed that no, it was not. So let us go to the Lord again in penitence. Now, I chose this sermon not only because of those words and to tell the story, really, but of course, the one challenge of John Wesley was to you know, kick open the coffin and come storming in here, you know, resurrected from the dead, and to preach this Sunday. He, first thing he would pray First thing he would preach that is not only salvation by faith and all these ideas, he would say, hey, church, are you filled with the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if you haven't gotten that in this whole message here today, that's, that's his number one question for Christians, the people that would follow, say they follow Christ. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because that's the true mark of a Christian. And if that's your heart, and if your heart is testified before God that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, then all the other things are going to work themselves out. Right? You're going to do all the things God wants you to do. You're going to stick away from all the things God doesn't want you to do. You're going to continue to come and grow in faithfulness and gentleness and all these ideas of the fruit of the Spirit more and more each and every single day. So number one, if he was here today, he would challenge us all, including myself. No, I say you all, not you all. I mean us. I'm saying us. Because he would definitely have words for pastors in today's world as well. He would challenge all of us. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? But I also chose this because I think it really also shows John Wesley's idea of how the world changes. And what I mean by that is, in so many ways, I think in our own days, we, we yearn so much to change the law before we change the heart. I don't know if you see that. I, I see that. I, that's just my perception. Maybe it's just my perception. But so many times in our country, in our world, or even our state laws, or local laws, and all these different things, the idea behind it doesn't start with a heart change. It starts with people coming together, voting something in and making everybody else follow it, then hoping the change comes later, right? If you look at John Wesley, how he describes Christianity, it starts with individuals having their hearts changed. I don't want to miss that here today, right? That 
the world is going to change, not by us going out and triumphing or whatever we want to have, you know, pass through Congress or pass through the United States government or even beyond in the United Nations or whatever. The world is going to change because you and I share the Holy Spirit, the story of Jesus Christ with other people and find the love of God. The love of God that so contagious fills up their hearts that the things that they desired before change. Their outlook on life, the glasses they've been looking through the world changes. That's the way the world is transformed. And the world is transformed not only through those changed hearts, but through the suffering when people have to suffer because the world doesn't want what the gospel wants sometimes. But those people become communities that become changed once again. And eventually even the nations, as John Wesley would have it in this, as he was looking for his day in 1744, where is the nation that's Christian? Tell me, where do I go and find them? And honestly, if I think if he was here today and he looked at us as the United States, He'd say, wait a minute, hold on. You all are a free country. You go and worship anything you want, right? And you're choosing not to be, want to be a a community of people that really search after God as a whole. Like he would just be baffled by that. That our world, and I'm not saying us in here, but I'm just saying our world is in such a way that we would yearn for all sorts of things. You know, we we would throw up argument after argument for the idea of, of wanting, you know, sports gambling. Well, we can't feed our neighbor, right? And John Wesley would say, hey, before you go sports gamble or do all that stuff we're fighting for, go downstairs and feed some people out of the food, food thing we're doing, right? He would say, get together and do some good, people. Like, be the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, I think that as I look at the challenges that he had in here, the people that are offended by the early Christians are still around today. When you think of the United States as we are today, I think of that idea of the men of pleasure, if you will, are offended by the gospel. Now, this was really clear to me this week. I'm sitting preparing for my sermon. I think this was a Thursday afternoon. I was going through my sermon again and, and rewriting some things. I'm not rewriting because it's John Wesley, but I'm re-highlighting different things and, you know, making some other points and stuff as I'm looking through it. And I'm watching, uh, not watching, but I'm, I'm listening to Spotify. You guys know Spotify? If you don't want to Spotify, real quickly, it's a, it's a free online like music thing. You can set up your own playlist and all that stuff, and you can listen to anything you want, but you've got to listen to advertisements if you're not, well, if you're too cheap like me to pay the five bucks or whatever it is to get like the non-advertisement version, right? So I'm getting advertised to in the middle of this, and uh, something just, you know, something every now and then I look up, and I try as best to just ignore the advertisements, but I look up at something, and uh, it's an advertisement for Hulu, right? Now, if you're a Hulu fan, I'm not, that's fine. Just be okay with that. But I'm, what I'm saying, the advertisement hit me wrong, because... Here's the thing that Hulu said. I'll look up, you know, and it's like, you know how advertisements are without those shows. Like, they show, like, show after show after show and all these crazy, like, violent kind of movement things or people saying things, you know, get your attention. And, uh, and then they kind of, they skip to some words. And the words were, and, you know, I caught half-winded, but it was something along the lines of find, your, next, obsession, you know, like, it was kind of like that, right? And, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, I'm reading John Wesley about being changed and filled with the Holy Spirit, about not trifling away our souls, and I'm being advertised to by Hulu in that moment to be obsessed and to spend my time, you know, as if, like, you hear about people that take days off work when they binge, like, a show when it comes out or something, right? <laughs> like, like, to trifle my time away, to find obsession and the, the allure of that. And I just remember thinking in that moment, like, now, again, if you're into Hulu, that's fine. It's fine. But I'm just saying, their advertisement was not geared towards me in that moment, right? 
And it was clear as night and day in that moment that this was not at all what John Wesley would want me to do or that scripture calls me to find an obsession. And even if I want to watch a show or two, that's fine. But no, not an obsession. We talk about the men of reputation offended. I'm always kind of moved because, you know, the number one growing uh, demographic as far as uh, religion in America and, and other places like the Western Europe is those who are unaffiliated with any religion. Not necessarily atheists, but a lot of times atheists, but also agnostic. And so uh, Larry Flowers, who's still into a lot of uh, political things, every now and then sends me some fun texts and stuff like that. And one he sent me this one this week, and it was really just depressing because it was basically, I am a secularist, right? And it was this advertisement that says, I stand for these things, and I'm a voter, and I am the number one growing demographic in America, so people look out, and it kind of said these things. When I vote, I vote to keep religion and out of government and social policy. I vote to keep religion out of public schools. I vote to keep religion out of personal life. I keep, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase that, but they go into like their bedroom and their, anyways, they do a whole bunch of stuff. And then I'm going to oppose, I'm also opposed to tax dollars. I only want them to go to evidence-based, not faith-based purposes. Now, I hear what they're saying in one hand, but I just got to ask, like, if you take all religion out of morality, you're only left with two options at the end of the day. I, mean, if you, I don't know if you guys have realized this, but like, I thought about this, but like, you can't have morals at all, and so it's either anarchy, because that's just how it is, or it's survival of the fittest, which basically means whoever has the most power wins and gets their way, and everybody else deals with it. Like, that's it. That's the end of atheism and their morality. And like you can see this played out through the ages and played out through history. But you look at China and, and Russia, of course, and you look at what the things they've done in the past, the amount of people that have died under their rules, it pales in comparison to everything else in history. Like, don't kid yourselves. And like, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking these these people that would say, and I understand there's an idea of like separation of church and state that we adhere to. But it's not to the nth degree where religion and state shall never ever come across each other, that they must be separate from each other in separate rooms at all together time. That's foolishness. The only thing that leads to is death. Because at the end of atheism, no matter what you want to say, at some time, at some point, whoever is powerful, it's going to be survival of the fittest, and the fittest people that are the most powerful in order to survive are going to trample on everybody else. And just know that if you're, you know, when I vote, that's one of the big things I vote for. There's, you know, there's about five different things I really care about, but this is one of them. Like, separation of church and state to that degree, uh-uh, sign me out, not for it, right? And John Wesley himself would argue, I think, very clearly in his sermons, you cannot have a secular state that even remotely comes close to the will of God and God's kingdom. It is going to go far, far away. Are the men of trade, in our day, you think of men of trade and all sorts of things, but just take pornography. Billion-dollar industry. I remember just a few cycles ago of the presidential election, there was one presidential candidate, sorry. And I just remember uh, they were getting kind of popular, and then all of a sudden they mentioned about, like, no, actually, I'm against pornography. And actually, I'd probably I'd try to actually make it unlawful. Gone the next day, right? <laughs> Never heard about that candidate ever again. Swept under the rug. Don't see anything here. We don't actually, no one's supporting this person. Like, uh, pornography's fine. Yeah, but no, right? As Christians, that is not the will of God in our lives and in the nation of our lives or in the world even. And the hurt that happens and the, and the destruction that happens through such things. No, men of trade we offend. Or men of religion, 
I think John Wesley would say it this way, so many times we're triflers in religion. And this comes across kind of as weak, well, just show up, just kind of be good, but never give the gospel. Never call sinners to repent. Never offer the Holy Ghost as the power of one's life to not only be filled with this huge love, this overflowing love that just pours into this cup like this big, huge waterfall, and it just splashes out, splashing everywhere into every single life across from you, into other people's lives. Never offer that and say, hey, live differently than the world. Live, be different. Be someone that's God's called to and find the fullness that's in the Scripture, of the fullness of Scripture Christianity. Now let's do a challenge. The triflers with God, those even clergy, that would be okay with just sitting back and saying, let's just be more or less nice people. Never actually call the gospel message. They're going to be offended. But again, how does change happen? Remember, our, our, we sang just a few weeks ago, let peace be on us. Let it begin with who? John Wesley very clearly says, no, no. Start here. Live your life. Let it affect someone else. Let their life is changed. Let their life is changed. And let it spread and spread Let us pray. God, as we're here today, we're challenged once again by Wesley's words that Again, we're written so long ago, but still challenge us today in our culture. And especially, God, as we just consider those words that what he said that day, while some people might have been offended, it's true, Lord, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, everything we do is worthless. So, guys, we're here today, once again, we want to be people filled with the Holy Spirit. We beg and we plead and we Surrender our lives once again to be under your grace. We offer our hearts to you. If our hearts are hard or dead, may you once again revive them. Where our wills once again may be just yearning and straining at the reins to pull in the direction we want to go instead of what you're trying to gently lead us to. May our harness grow slack in your hand. And once again, God, we want to see the world change. We are people and just as John Wesley preached that day before people and that were supposed to be clergy people and was never asked to come back again. He offended them. God, help us not to be a people that would rather not be offended. Help us to be a people that would much rather find you, find life, and truly offer the gift of God poured out for many, the forgiveness of sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.